turn to Colossians 2. We're going to continue preaching through the book of Colossians this morning, verse 6. Thank you to Tony for preaching in my absence last week while we were in Costa Rica. We were able to worship Sunday evening with uh, a church there in Costa Rica, and that was a blessing with some... Uh, it was a church made up of missionaries and their families, and so that was a, a real blessing to, uh, to get to worship with them. And, and this week, in verse 6, we're building upon what we looked at last week, and it's important that we remember that. Look at verse 2 with me in chapter 2 just for a moment. Paul writes that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and listen to this, here it is, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. There, there is a call in this entire chapter to be built up, to grow, to mature in our understanding of the gospel. It's not simply about being saved and then moving away from the gospel. That's not Christianity. Christianity is being saved and then dwelling and growing and maturing in that gospel through which we have been saved. It is, it is gaining an understanding, a deeper and deeper understanding of the gospel. And as we'll see today, it's so that Satan will not move us away or deceive us with lies. Lies about ourselves, lies about God, lies about our, 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 our security of our salvation. And, 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 and Tony preached on that last week. The full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge. And listen to verse 3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You, you see Paul saying time and time again, Christ is enough. Christ is unrivaled. And he says, here's why. Here's why we're to grow up. Here's why we're to be maturing in the faith. Here's why we're to be rooted in the gospel. Here's why we're to grow up in respects to salvation, as 1 Peter 2 says. Verse 4, so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. That, that through your good discipline, you would have stability of your faith in Christ. That you would not be moved away. You would not be deluded with, with the lies of this world. You would not be drawn away from Christ through the lies of Satan. You, wouldn't be, you would be secure in the gospel. And what we see today is building upon that beginning in verse 6. And in really what we see here, what Tony preached last week and, and what we're getting into here really is the heart of the letter. It, it's, it's calling on a response, a response of believers in light of the sufficiency and the fullness and the unrivaled nature of the gospel, of what they have in Christ, their standing in Christ. Response. And, and he summarizes it here. And, and again, he says in verse 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus Lord, he's writing to believers. He's, he, and, and he makes this clear later on. He's writing to believers. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. You, you see the point? We're not moved away from the gospel. We never mature away from the gospel. We never have a, we never have a lack of need for understanding of the gospel. The gospel fuels everything about our lives. And, and that's really 
what, what we've seen here. We've been, he said in verse 13 of chapter 1, we have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul is saying, walk in light of that. Live in light of that. You, you've been transferred to a new kingdom. What Paul does here in chapter 2 and beyond is answer the now what? So what? Okay, we've been transferred. Now what? This is the now what? And Paul begins in verse 6. As you, ha as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him. And that really the main point you see on your handout, what, what Paul is getting at here is to, and you see it on your handout, believers are to be fueled and rooted in their understanding of the fullness of the gospel and what the gospel accomplishes on our behalf regarding salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. We need to understand that. We need to dig deeper into that. We need to have a fuller understanding. Again, verse 2, a full assurance of understanding, he said. But, but that understanding, it, it is to be expressed through gratitude and worship of the God who saved us, who transferred us. That's what the understanding leads to, a life lived worthy of the calling, of having been saved, of having been transferred, live worthy. And as we understand that, as we dig deeper into that, it overflows into our lives. And interestingly enough, one of the main characteristics, one of the main fruits of this, and this is all through Paul's letters, as we'll see, it's gratitude. Expressed through gratitude. What we'll see today is one of the marks of a mature believer, one of the most one of the mo one of the key marks of a mature believer is gratitude. And not gratitude simply when things go well. It's gratitude as we'll see in Ephesians 5:18 and 1 Thessalonians 4:19, gratitude in any and every situation, for all things and in all things. Why? Because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. We, 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 we went into homes of people this past week that, that it was very, it was difficult to see how believers were living in other countries. It was tough. And, and yet the, the joy that these individuals had. It was, it was, over, it was overwhelming. I, I battled with, you, there's a battle of even like, is it okay for me even to go in this house? And yet they're living there with joy and gratitude. In, in conditions that were just overwhelming. And I, I, in my quiet time, I just kept going back to this verse, gratitude. Gratitude. I mean, in my flesh, my feet are hanging off a bed. Now, you know it's a short bed when my feet hang off a bed. Is the water warm enough? Is the food? These people had joy. But it was a joy that only the gospel brings about. 
And you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need an understanding of the gospel. And as we grow in that understanding, Paul is saying the, the natural overflow of our lives will be gratitude. It will be a life spent glorifying the one who crucified his son to save us. And it will be gratitude. And I want to break this down, verses 6 through 15, into, into two real points, two segments. And we'll, we'll dive into to verse 16, Lord willing, next week, and, and Paul builds on what we're saying here even then, but, but a couple of, couple of points here to summarize what Paul is saying as we dissect these verses, and I, I want to I show how Paul builds this argument and forms this argument for us, and the first thing Paul says here, and you'll see it in the handout, is believers are called to live, to live in a manner consistent with their faith by constantly growing in their faith and understanding of what he has accomplished on our behalf. And the ultimate expression of that understanding is going to be gratitude. It's going to be joy. Even the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. But it's joy. It's love. It's joy. When, when we grasp the gospel, and as believers, again, Paul is speaking here, clearly he is speaking Verse 6, to, to believers, to people who have received Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And, and, and it's important for us to know what that means there. It, it's not simply to, to have received Christ Jesus. It, is not, it not only means believing in Christ in regards to who He is, but it involves a commitment to the, to the teaching about who he is and what he's accomplished on our behalf. There's truth involved here. It's not simply, look, I'll take the forgiveness of the sins, but I'm not going to believe what he says about himself or his works and all these other things. No, to, to, to receive Christ Jesus is not only to receive the forgiveness of sins, but it's to receive the truth about who he is. It's accepting truth. And we as believers cannot separate the two. We cannot separate his person and his work or the, or the truth about who he is and, and, and the truth about what he accomplished. It's not a, hey, I'll take the forgiveness, but I'm not going to understand who you are. I'm not going to believe who you are, but I'll take your forgiveness. It doesn't work that way. To receive Christ is to believe the truth about who he is. And, and Paul uses many, many combinations in, in his letters to explain Christ Jesus and, and titles, the terms Jesus and the terms Christ and the, the terms Lord. And, and he never, he never, this is the only way that he combines them as he does here. And it's significant. He says, who has received Christ Jesus, the Lord. Paul, Paul is doing this with a purpose. And by, you see it on your handout, by addressing Christ as Christ, Jesus Christ, the Lord, Paul is connecting what it means to be a Christian with the truth that he has already developed in Colossians, that he is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's not a Lord. He's the Lord. Again, it's not just receiving Christ's forgiveness for his sins, but then not submitting to who he is. He brings everything that he brought, what he, what he talked about in chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's Lord. Verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. He's Lord. 
Verse 27, to whom God willed to make known the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's Lord. 2-2, what Tony preached on last week, that their hearts would be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself, that he's Lord. And that in him are hidden all the mysteries, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, because he's Lord. He's summarizing all the Christology. Christology would be a a fancy word for saying the doctrine of Christ, the truth of who Christ is. He's summarizing that in this. Jesus Christ the Lord. A central confession, a central confession that believers make. That Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Savior, but He's Lord. And as Lord, He has every right to rule us. Complete rule. And that's what Paul is getting at when he says, So walk in him as you have received him as your Lord. So walk in him as your Lord. He's your Lord. Again, the truth, the reality, the confession that Jesus is your Lord demands a response. There's a whole set of truths that are taken. We, we don't have the right to make Christ out to be who we want him to be. We don't have the right to take this truth and not that truth. And well, I like that and I don't like that and I like... No, no, he's Lord. There's a whole set of truths that come with that. And there's a response to his lordship that, necess- that is necessitated in a believer's life who professes him as Lord. A total surrender. Just as Daniel led us this morning, I surrender all. Why? Because he's Lord. And that's what Paul refers to here when he says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Paul said the same thing in chapter 1, verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner, again, filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, the result of of, of that is so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And what does that work like? To please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Maturing. Everything everything was to result in a walk that was worthy, a lifestyle that was worthy of calling Christ Lord, to magnify Him, to, to glorify Him. And again, it goes way beyond just pragmatic behaviors. Again, if this is not just about, we're not to be satisfied with our kids just behaving well or our kids being well-mannered or our, our kids not getting in trouble or getting good grades. Do your kids seek to magnify Christ as Lord? Do you seek to magnify Him as Lord? Not, not just pragmatic behavioral issues. I mean, many of our kids, I mean, they're sinners, but they, they would be pretty good kids Regardless, this isn't moralism. This is responding to Jesus Christ as Lord. It's living a life of faith and a life of worship directed at at the Jesus Christ, the Lord. It's a life of worship based on who he is as Lord. And what Paul is saying is that our confession... And our ethic or our lifestyle ought to line up. If we confess him as Lord, we ought to be living as if he were Lord. Make sense? Therefore, as you have received Christ as your Lord, so walk in him as your Lord. 
And based upon the truth of Christ, the response is just that. He's saying, look, don't be moved away. Christ is Lord. Conduct your life as a person who has been incorporated into the body and the family of Jesus Christ, incorporated into the kingdom of Christ, rescued from the domain of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of light. Live that way. Be established in that. Dig deep into that truth of who you are in Christ. We spent two weeks talking about in Christ. Understand that. And you see it on handout as believers. Christ is the one and only Lord. And he and as Lord, he has established. He establishes our values, guides our thinking and directs our conduct. Why? Because he's Lord. He has every right to do that. And what Paul is saying is we as believers ought to live lives that are consistent with our confession of Jesus Christ as Lord. Again, Roman, it's involved in salvation. Romans 10, 8, 9. If we confess with our mouth Jesus as what? Lord. You can't get beyond it. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be what? Saved. So, so a key essential to our salvation is the fact that we have confessed Jesus Christ is the Lord. So walk in that. You can't bifurcate. You can't, se- you can't separate. Well, I, I do that for salvation, but then I live over here. Then you don't understand. You don't understand your salvation. Then you don't understand lordship. He's Lord. As Lord, he has every right and prerogative to direct his people, however he wants, to his glory. And, and what Paul does here, he does not leave this, I, it's very clear here, he does not leave this up to determine the how or the what on our own. We don't get to determine what this looks like on our own. This, the life or walk in Christ, Paul develops that and shows you, shows you and I very clearly what it means to walk and to live with Christ as our Lord. And he does this to, not only to protect us against the false teachers, but to protect us from, from wondering, well, what does that look like? He's very clear in verses 6 and 7 what that looks like. And you see them on your handout. Look at verse 7. Having been firmly rooted, we live lives, you see A on your handout, we live lives trusting in the fact that we have been firmly rooted in Christ. Firmly rooted. Understand that again, we are, that's the security of our salvation. That he who is for us, he who is in us, is greater than he who is in the world. This is Romans 8, 31, that therefore nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He who just, if God is the one who justifies us, who can condemn us? Nobody, because he's already justified us. Be firmly rooted in that. that. That Christ's work on the cross was completely sufficient for our salvation. Nothing needs to be added to it. And then these add to each other. Having been firmly rooted, what, look what it says. Be built, being built up in Him. Based upon our being firmly rooted, we are to be built up and grow in respect to Christ. We're to mature. We, we see that all over. 1 Peter 2, 2. Therefore, like newborn babies, crave the pure milk of the word. Why? So that by it you may grow up in respects to your salvation. 
One, one of the foundational ministries or verses for, for my ministry as a pastor is Ephesians 4.12. For the, he's given all these people, teachers, apostles, for the equipping of the saints that we will be mature, built up in Christ. Why? Verse 14. So that we will not be tossed around by every wind and trickery of doctrine. You think about the word picture there of a, of, a, of a young child that goes to the beach and goes off into the water a little bit and those waves just knock them down and knock them down and knock them down. But as we mature, guess what? You can stand in the waves. There's all kinds of trickery of doctrine out there, all kinds of things that want to mis- deceive and mislead, lies about ourselves, about God, about the world. And if we're not being built up, if we're not maturing, children are, one of the marks of Im- immaturity is what? Gullibility. They can be tricked. They can be deceived. They can be led astray. We as Christians need to grow up. We need to be built up in the truth of who Christ is and the truth of the gospel. Why? So that we're not led astray. So that we're not deceived. And Paul goes on to say, rooted in being built up in Him and established in your faith. As we grow in Christ and have been rooted, we become established in our faith. Established means firm. It means set. It means not moved away. And then he says this, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude, the result, listen, the result of our understanding and confidence in Christ will be a life that abounds in gratitude. If we really understood the gospel, we would live lives that abound in gratitude, no matter the circumstances. And I say that, again, I say that having seen what I just saw for a week, and I say that knowing the circumstances that many of us are in here today that are facing. And I say that with all love, but the gospel is the solution. No matter what it is we're battling, the gospel is the answer. Digging deeper into the gospel. And what Paul is calling for here is a life of continuous growth in the grace and the knowledge of the one who has saved us. Continuous growth. It's maturity. It's Philippians 3.12 that we've seen. Therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Grow up. Work it out. Understand. That word, work it out, literally means it's the same word that would be used to carry a math problem out to its completion. You have this math problem here, and, and those of us who are parents and help our kids with math homework and I have to confess, when my daughter was in the first grade, she brought home a math problem. I had to go home. I had to go to the teacher the next day and ask her, like, I know the answer, but I don't know how you got the answer. I don't know how to get the answer. What, she was, what they were demanding of Sarah to do to get, I'm like, Sarah, the answer is 24. Just remember that. It's like, well, Dad, I have to put them in these boxes, and I have to move them. Over. Sarah, forget that. When you're at the grocery store, you're not going to write all these boxes out. It's 24. I literally had to go in and say, this is humbling, and I love math, and I'm pretty good at it, but I don't, know, I don't know how to do this. The word work out your salvation with fear and trembling is that. It's carrying a math problem to completion. 
It's okay, I'm saved. How does that impact my role as a, as a husband? I'm saved. How does that impact my role as a son? I'm saved. How does that impact my role as a daughter? I'm saved. How does that impact my role as a wife? I'm saved. How does that impact my role as an employer? I'm saved. How does that impact my role as an employee? That's what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How does being a Christian impact every area of your life? How do I walk worthy of the one who has saved me? It's growing up. Not, and not just for our sake, it's so that we can glorify the one who has saved us. Paul in Philippians 3.12 says, Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul himself was pressing on to greater and deeper maturity. We saw this in verse 28. We proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power which mightily works in me. Maturity. Maturity. And, and, and all throughout Scripture, it's, it's part of the reason we have the tree as our logo there for the church at Odessa. And, and really, it's rooted in a couple of places. In Isaiah, I think it's 61.3, it talks about that you will be oaks of righteousness. The idea of an oak of righteousness. But, but also in Psalm 1.3, he contrasts the, the, the wicked man and, and the godly man. And he says, but his delight, in contrast, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And listen to the fruit. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. But where are his roots? His roots are in the Word of God. In it he meditates day and night. We can't starve ourselves of the Word. No, no less than we can starve ourselves of food and expect our children to grow up. We, we need the Word spiritually just like our bodies need food physically. And meditating on God's Word, grow up in respect to salvation. And you see it on your handout. What we see here for the Colossians and believers today is the call to be sure of our salvation and yet still be eager to grow up in respects to our salvation. It wasn't enough to simply be saved. They wanted to know better the one who had saved them. They wanted to know doctrine. They wanted to know truth. We, we, we took, we took the, some boys from this orphanage that we went last week, and they had, through meeting some requirements and some things, there's a reward. And I, and I want to thank you for the, the generosity of a church that allows us to do this. And when I tell you this, some of you may think, why? But, but you've got to understand, these are, these are boys who have been through it all. And, and we, had, we had the chance as a reward to take um, them whitewater rafting Friday. We picked them up, about, we left about 5.30 in the morning and drove for a few hours to, to this place. And there was a 17-year-old kid on that bus that it blew me away how mature he was in Christ. For probably two, two and a half hours of a bus ride, there's a group of us, we just sat around talking about the Bible. 
digging deep in the Bible. This is a kid who's not wasting his time on games. He's not wasting his time on anything of this world. He's spending his time digging into the Word of God. And this is a 17-year-old having conversations with 40, 50-year-olds and holding his own. And he's proof of the fruit of digging into the Word. And these boys got to sit there and watch and listen. And obviously there's a language barrier and some of them understand some English. But, but you know, we got to, to be with these boys for probably 8, 9, 10, 11 hours. Never mind the rest of the week and just pour into them. We got to do things with them like to build stuff and work and do these things that that things that my children and your children take for granted. But the whole point of it is that they would be built up in the gospel. That, that Terry and Joanne Ingot would be able to, to, to explain and, and share the gospel with these boys, and that they, would, that they would hear them and listen to them. That they would know that, that not only do Terry and Joanne love them, but there's a God who loves them. And yet through their sin, they've been alienated. And, and again, moms and dads who have done horrific things to these boys, Satan is lying to them and deceiving them through their parents and their sin about who God is, and yet these, the ingots are pouring into them. And, and what Paul is saying here for you and I, and you see it on your handout, assurance of salvation should not stunt our desire for growth, it should launch our desire for growth. To understand the one who has done that. A deeper, deeper understanding of the gospel. And the fruit of that, the fruit of that is thankfulness. Six times, six times in this short little letter, Paul takes everything back to thankfulness. Verse 1, 3, 1, 12, 2, 7, 3, 15, 3, 16, chapter 4, verse 2, thankfulness. And what he's saying is what I've said. Gratitude, thankfulness is the mark of a mature believer. Gratitude, thankfulness, the mark of a true believer. The mark of someone who understands the gospel. And, and it's interesting, the tense here in the Greek with regards to thankfulness is showing it that it's our responsibility. These other things are things that God has done. It is our responsibility to pursue thankfulness, to be thankful. And it's a thankfulness, again, that's rooted in what Christ has done for us in the gospel. It's rooted in our salvation, not in our circumstances. It's a response to seeing who Christ is and what he has done on our behalf. It's digging deeper, and you see it there on your handout. Thankfulness takes our thoughts away from our circumstances and accomplishments and ourselves, and instead focuses our thoughts on Christ and His accomplishes, accomplishments that our circumstances cannot touch. Our circumstances cannot touch the security of our salvation. Cannot touch the work of Christ through the gospel in our lives. And that is in a tremendous weapon against Satan and his attacks on our lives. Thankfulness. Huge offensive weapon, but it's fueled by the gospel. It's fueled through maturity. That no matter what life may bring, we have in Christ a constant, constant source of thankfulness. Constant source of gratitude. Constant source. 
I mean, this is Romans 8, 38, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things that are present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 29, that God works all things together for good to conform us to the image of His Son. It's Genesis 50, 20, that though you may have meant it for evil, God meant it for good. But nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And in that, in the gospel, we can be thankful not only for all things, but in all things. See Ephesians 5.20 and 1 Thessalonians 5.18, that we are to be thankful in all things and for all things. That even as Paul has said that he can rejoice, verse 24, that I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Why? Because it was accomplishing the furtherance of the gospel. The gospel. And that's what we need to be steady and sure of, the gospel. A deeper understanding of the gospel. But, but also, you see her in your handout, and we'll look at verses 8 through 15 here. Believers remain faithful to Christ, this is number two, and are not deceived by worldly philosophies by focusing on the fullness of who Christ is and what he has accomplished. And Paul says here, starting in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority, and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your... Listen to this. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Listen to this. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. Think about that. When he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. L literally what Paul says here, beginning in verse 8, see to it there, literally means this. It, it, is, a, it is a phrase that means be careful to do this. It, it literally means direct your attention, to beware, to be on guard. And you'll see it there on your handout. What we see here is a command for watchfulness. This is exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. He says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Be careful. The goal of Satan is to take us captive. Literally, there, the word there means to carry off his loot, to rob someone. He's to, his, his, his desire is to carry us away from the freedom and the truth that we have in Christ and to be held captive to elementary principles. To keep us immature. To deceive us. That's why Satan is called the deceiver of the brethren. I, I, would, I would guarantee you every single one of us in here are battling with lies that we've believed. Either about ourselves, lies about God, lies about His goodness, and Satan, Satan tries to do that through circumstances to get us to believe. If God loved you, he would have never let that happen. If God was really for you, he wouldn't have let that. No, that's not true. That's a lie. He is for you. 
The reality is in all of our circumstances, God is, what, again, what you meant for evil, God used for good. Joseph said that after he had lived a life separated from his family, sold into slavery, imprisoned, falsely accused, and yet he stands before the ones who had done that and says, you meant it for evil, yet God did it for good. God walked me through all of that so I would be right here on this day to provide for you, the ones who did that to me. You've you got to be firmly rooted in the gospel to do that, to say that. To be able to stand there before the ones who sold you, sold you out, and to rejoice of where God has brought you. And there's all kinds of lies out there that, that us as parents, that us as singles, that our kids are, be, are being thrown at. And the root, what Paul is saying here, the root of them, you'll see there on your handout, the problem with worldly philosophies is that they heart, at their heart, they attack, they attack the supremacy and the f- sufficiency of Christ. That's what's at the heart of these. This is why they're a problem. This is why, again, circumcision and food and all these other things, Paul attacked them. Why? Because they attack the sufficiency and the supremacy of what Jesus Christ has done in the gospel. What God has done through Christ in the gospel. They attack the sufficiency. And in contrast to that, look what Paul says. Rather than according to Christ. They're not according to Christ. They're not true. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him, listen to what he says, you have been made complete. You're complete in Christ. You don't need nothing to add, nothing to help Him out. You're complete. That's why Paul battled all the time. Jerusalem Council, Acts 15, all throughout Galatians. Oh, they've got to be circumcised. No, they don't. They're complete in Christ. Oh, they can't eat all these foods. They've got to watch those. No, they don't. They're complete in Christ. The gospel is complete. It's sufficient. It's enough. Christ is enough. And these attempts, the problem is they attack the sufficiency of Christ. All you, again... Verses 9 and 10, you are complete. You're complete. Now grow in that. Grow in an understanding of that. You've been transferred into the kingdom of light. Grow in that. You've been adopted. Grow in that. If you're a believer, grow in that. Understand that. You've been declared righteous. Grow in that. You've been redeemed. You've been ransomed. Grow in that. Understand that. And what Paul is saying, and you'll see it there, believers will have no interest in listening to the offerings of the false teachers once they realize what they have in Christ. That's where maturity comes from. That's where children, again, can be so easily deceived. Once we understand and are growing, not that we ever fully will, but as we're growing and mature, Satan will not deceive us the way he can immature children. Once we understand the fullness of what we have in Christ. And what, what he does there, there, here in verses really 11 through 12, 11 through 14 is explain that. And I've and I put them on your handout. There's a sermon on all of these. I'm not going to go there. We, will, we could, but there, there's a sermon on all of these. But Paul is putting forth the fullness of what we have in Christ. Look at verse 11. In him you were also circumcised. Listen, with a circumcision made without hands. 
in the removal of the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. Look at A on your handout. Your sin nature, understand this believer, your sin nature has been conquered and you have been given a new nature through the work of Christ. You have a new nature. Romans 6, 12, in, in response to all that, you know what he says? He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you may obey its lust. The Spirit of God has been given to you that you can crucify the flesh. You don't have to. You don't have to sin. You don't have to give in. Because greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. And in the Old Testament, circumcision marked off the people of God. And Paul, Paul, all throughout Scripture, there was a battle in the New Testament of whether Gentiles had to be circumcised. And Paul never wavered from saying, no, they do not. That something bigger has taken place. This is Romans 2, 25 through 29. Listen to what he says. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? As he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who have through the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? But he is not a Jew. Listen to this. This is key. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outwardly in the flesh. But, the, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not for men, but from God. Our hearts as believers have been circumcised. We've been given a new heart. And we don't have to obey sin. We don't have to give in. This is Galatians 5, 16, Romans 8, 12. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Live by the Spirit, he says, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the word of Christ. We'll get to it in Colossians 3, 16. Richly dwelling in you and you begin to be controlled by the Spirit and you're able to deny the flesh and crucify the flesh. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away. New things have come. You're a new person. You can put off the flesh. You can deny the flesh. You have a new nature. But not only that, be... Through, though we were spiritually dead, we have been made alive through the work of Christ. That's verses 12 and 13. He's raised you up. This is Ephesians, this is Ephesians 2, 1. You were dead, when you were dead in your trespasses, alienated, hostile, He made you alive to Christ. You've been made alive to Christ, where you were dead. And it's God, again, it's God here, the one that's doing it. Look what He says, made without hands. Almost every time you see the phrase there, that is a huge phrase. Every time in Scripture when you see made with hands, it is almost always referring to idolatry. Made with hands. It's something that, that, we, that we worship and take away from our worship of Christ. Almost always. You can go to Leviticus 26.1. You can go to Isaiah 2.18. You can go to Isaiah 10.11. Look at Acts 17 just for a moment just to see, just to see the picture here real quick. Acts 17, verse 24. The God who made the world and all things in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, there it is again, does not dwell in temples, what? Made with hands. Nor is He served by human hands 
as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. See the point? He doesn't, he doesn't, not made with hands. God is the one doing this. Christ is enough. Supreme. Unrivaled. No idol, no man-made effort is going to get you to God. Christ gets you to God. He has made a way for sinners to be reconciled. But not only that, in verses 13 and 14, he says, See, our sin debt has been totally canceled by the work of Christ. Think about that. No matter how hard you work, you can't cancel your sin debt. The, the word canceled here, it's amazing. It literally means to cause something to cease by obliterating the evidence. Literally obliterated the record of sin. Obliterated. Romans 8.1 is the conclusion. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.1. Therefore, we have peace with God through Christ Jesus. And in crucifying His Son, God has provided for the full cancellation of the debt of our sin. Not only that, verse 15 is D. As a result of the work of Christ, Satan and his forces have been disarmed, rendered defeated. And listen to this. In Roman times, when, when, a, when, a, when a Roman army conquered another people, they would follow up that victory with a public demonstration of the glory of their victory, but also a public shame of the defeated. And, and I thought about that. I thought about that picture as I was in Costa Rica this week, as I was looking at these verses again. And when our when our professional teams, when they win championships, what do they do right after they hold a championship? They they go back to their city and they do what? They hold a parade. Where do you think they got that idea? They got that idea from right here. When a Roman military would conquer another people, they would go back and they would hold a parade. They would celebrate it. And I started thinking about that. I started thinking about that. You, you start putting all this together. And, and I don't want to stretch this too far, but I don't think I am. Paul began by saying, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. And then he goes on to say, he made a public display of of his enemies having triumphed over them through him. Listen to me. Who does, Christ, who, does the, who does God live in today? You and I. And you and I, listen, you and I, our lives, our lives are be to lived like that victory parade of their championship teams. Our lives are to be a picture that Jesus Christ has, public, has, has disarmed sin in our lives he's defeated our foes he's conquered our enemies our lives are to be a celebration of the work of christ our lives are to literally be a a parade that shows off we literally think about this we you and i literally are the spoils of christ's victory you and i are the spoils what did Christ, what did he win in crucifying, in crushing sin and, and Satan? He, 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 he redeems sinners. Your life, my life, is to be a picture of the victory that Christ won. I mean, and think about that. Is your life, is your life a victory parade for Christ? Is your life a public display of what Christ has accomplished in the gospel? 
It should be. That's what it means to walk worthy. And Paul's point here is when we fully grasp the work of Christ and its supremacy and sufficiency, we can live out our salvation before a watching world because our security and our sufficiency rests in Christ's work alone. I pray that we would be a people that grow up in respects to salvation. That, that we'd meditate on these truths. That, that, that we'd ask ourselves, is, is my life a picture of the victory that Christ has won in the gospel? That, that the dominion of our flesh has been broken, C211? That our former manner of life has ended, C212? That we've been raised from spiritual death, C212? That we've been given a new life, 2.13. That our transgressions have been forgiven, also 2.13. That our debt has been paid, 2.14. That our enemy has been defeated, 2.15. That's cause for celebration. Live those truths out. Understand those truths. Dig into those truths. God has provided a solution to sin, and it's singularly in the work of Christ. And sin is serious, but Christ's work is sufficient. Romans 5.20 says, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. I pray that our lives would be a celebration of that.